0: Hey, y'all. Welcome to Footnotes and Witness. My name is Deborah J. McKenzie, and this is the podcast where we study the Bible to see Jesus rightly and find him in our own stories. Let us be faithful witnesses to his character and glory. Biblical literature. It's so exciting. And if you're not excited, don't worry. I'll be excited enough for the both of us. I love going over this because I know what a huge difference it can make in your day-to-day study by just knowing what kind of book of the Bible you're reading, what genre are you in, and what are you supposed to do with it. So that's what this season is all about. We're going to recognize, get exposure to those different patterns that we see throughout the Bible. And in our three main kind of categories, we're working with narrative, poetry, and composed discourse. So for the month of December, we're going to work on narrative using some of the Bible stories about Jesus's birth, the nativity scene. So 40% roughly of the Bible is actually narrative. We love stories. We love to read stories. We love to educate in stories. We love to be entertained by stories. And so it's probably going to be the most recognizable form of literature that you're going to see in the Bible. And it's most likely statistically going to be what you are reading since it's almost half the Bible. So basic grammar lesson, stick with me, okay? Don't roll your eyes yet. Stories contain a place, like where or when it happens, and that's the setting. The characters are who is in that story, who is the story about, and then there's a conflict or a plot, the events, like what's actually happening. So when we see individual stories in the Bible, sometimes we like to isolate them because you can't take the whole Bible in one sitting, and it doesn't make for a very good women's luncheon to try and cover every character in the Bible. So we isolate them. We talk about one story as part of the whole story, and that's okay. When we look at what a character has to do with Jesus and the overall meta-narrative of the Bible, that's a good thing. When we get into some trouble, is when we isolate stories, because then we create a false narrative about God and his character. So, for example, in 1 Samuel, which is mostly narrative, chapter one tells us about a barren woman named Hannah. Her husband has children with a different wife, and Hannah is super sad. Expected, right? So she prays to God, and in her sadness, she tells God that if God gives her a child, She will give that child back to him, back to the church. And God does bless Hannah, and her firstborn son becomes Samuel, the prophet and priest of God. So if we take this story out of context, if we take it in isolation, what we see is an instructional discourse for every woman suffering with infertility. Well, all you need to do is just offer up your firstborn to end your barrenness, but that will definitely leave you with disappointment because this is a story about God and what he did with Hannah. It is not a story about how to end your barrenness. One of my favorite Bible teachers, Kelly Needham says, God is not math. It's not two plus two equals four. I will pray to God and offer up my firstborn son. Therefore, God will end my barrenness and that equals happiness. That's not how this works. A narrative like this is telling you about the story of the relationship between God and Hannah, and how it relates overall to the story of Jesus, because Samuel would be the one who is going to bring David into the kingly line. He's going to anoint Saul, the first king, and then David, and it all has to do with the bigger meta-narrative. So it's important that we don't take these stories out in isolation. So there's a couple of easy questions that you can ask yourself, am I reading a narrative? Because even in that narrative with Hannah, after she does receive a son and is blessed by God, she has a song of prophecy that's written in poetic language and talks about a coming king. And that is not narrative. That's her song and it's written in poetic language. How do you know which part is narrative and which part is the poetry? So a couple of questions you can ask yourself. Is a story being told about a particular character? Is there a description of the setting? Now that could be a time or a place. Is there dialogue? Sometimes dialogue happens in narratives. And does the story relay events that have already happened? You can't tell a story while it's happening, right? Most of the stories in the Bible are stories about something that has already happened. So, for instance, if you're reading a story and it's talking about something that will happen, that's most likely going to be prophecy and not narrative. If you're reading through something and it's telling somebody to do something particular, then that's probably discourse and not narrative. It's not telling a story, it's telling someone what they should or should not do. So, now that we have a good idea of how to identify narrative, Let's read a little bit of narrative and look at, in particular, the characters and how we can use looking at characters for our overall Bible study and to see Jesus more rightly. So since it is Christmas, I thought we would take a look at the characters of the nativity scene. So just going off of the silhouette that's probably outside of your church right now, our characters in the nativity scene are baby Jesus, Mary, Jesus's mama, Joseph, Mary's fiance, the angel Gabriel, God's messenger, Herod, the king of Jerusalem, some wise men or magi, which are some weird dudes from the east that are not very clear at all, and some shepherds who are witnesses. I think that just about covers all the silhouettes. So let's start with Mary. The first time that we see her is in Matthew 1 verse 18. And i Just a reminder, I'm usually going to be reading out of the ESV version. Now, that doesn't mean that your version is bad. It doesn't mean that that's not a good version. That's just my preferred version for Bible study. It isn't as easy to read as an NIV or the New Living Translation, which is NLT, but it's really good for looking at word for word translation study. So, Matthew 1, verse 18, starts like this Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So let's ask our questions. Is this a narrative? Is there poetic or metaphorical language? Nope. Are there characters presented? Yep. Is there a mention of a setting? Yes. It's the time when Jesus Christ was born. So our setting is a time and not a place. How about is an event that has already happened? Is it being relayed to us by the author because it's in the past tense? Yes. It says that the birth took place. Mary had been found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. These are all past tense words. So what info do we have about Mary? Well, she's Jesus Christ's mom. She's betrothed or engaged to Joseph. She's a virgin because it's before her and Joseph came together, and she's pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So when we look at narrative, there's a couple of special places in the Bible where the narratives repeat, but not often. So for instance, the books of First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles have a lot of the same stories and stories that go together. And so those are good books to read side by side. Matthew and Luke are the Gospels that have stories that go together or are the same about Jesus' birth and his life during his ministry. So all four of the Gospel accounts do have these stories of Jesus' ministry, but Matthew and Luke in particular are where your nativity stories come from. So you can probably see in your Bible, in your cross-reference, from Matthew 1, verse 18 to Luke 1, verse 27. So those cross-references are the tiny little print in your margin, and those are the things that let you know that this verse has something to do with another verse. And so that's why those cross-references can be really helpful for finding out if there's another account of the same narrative, because if there is, those are things that you always want to read side by side and use to compare. So the account in Luke starts like this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So between the account in Luke and in Matthew, we have basically the same information about Mary, but I want you to notice what's lacking in her description, and that's a physical description. Narratives often only point out things that are important to the point of the story. Biblical authors very rarely give a physical description unless it is important to their actual character. So for example, in OT, Isaac's sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob was known as the deceiver, and he's told to have smooth skin, like a deceiving serpent. So I want you to go and look it up and see what Esau's skin was like and see if you can have any observations about how it pertains to his character. So what are we given? We're given Mary's reactions to things. And just like what our last season was about was studying Jesus's character through his decisions. This is kind of what we can do with Mary. We are getting clued into her character based on her reactions. Because that is what God is concerned about. When physical descriptions are present, they're clues to someone's character, because that's actually the point of the story. There's also another reason that physical descriptions are not included in the Bible. And this is just kind of my opinion, is that when physical descriptions are present, then you have a certain box that that character fits in. And if that character doesn't look like you, you won't see yourself in that character So you may not be able to see yourself believing in God in an unbelievable situation like Mary if she's described to be completely unlike you. Whenever we don't have physical descriptions, then our mind will probably fill in the blanks with something that's comfortable to us. And that's actually how we can relate to stories better. So back to the account in Luke, we have Gabriel the angel talking to Mary. And he says, Don't be afraid. You found favor. You're going to conceive in your womb a son, and you shall call him Jesus. He's going to be the son of the Most High, and he's going to reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And we see Mary ask how this can happen. She says, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answers her, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And then the child will be born. We've also gotten your cousin Elizabeth pregnant, who also shouldn't have been able to conceive. Now, in Elizabeth's case, it's because she's really old. And in Mary's case, it's because she's a virgin. And then we see Mary's response in verse 38. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So we have an event, something that happens, we have a character, and we have a broad description of the setting. The conflict comes whenever the angel Gabriel brings this news of Mary's miraculous birth to come, and we see how Mary responds. She questions it and then relinquishes control and says, I am the Lord's servant. So the biblical authors are somewhat subtle, more than what we experience today. We could be frustrated by the lack of details, like her description, or what her parents thought, but what we have is God's character. Now, the problem with taking these stories out in isolation is that the story right before this one tells us a different response to the questioning of how can this be. So the mentioning of Mary's cousin, Elizabeth, is because right before this in Luke chapter one is the story of Elizabeth and how she became pregnant. So Elizabeth's husband, his name is Zachariah, and he's a priest. And while he is serving, an angel comes to him and tells him that his wife, even though she's old and barren, is going to have a child. And Zachariah says the same thing that Mary does. How shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Basically, how will this be? It's not physically possible. And what happens to Zachariah is the angel tells him, I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you. You will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So if we look at these two stories, they're back to back, and yet they're complete opposites. We cannot take these stories in isolation, If we just look at Mary's story and say, it's totally fine to question God, he'll be patient with you and he'll reward you and he'll give you a piece about it. And then you'll be his servant. It's not necessarily how it's going to work out for everybody, because right before that, Zachariah had the same doubts. And yet it looks like a vindictive God was punishing him for having doubts. And so that's why it's so important to look at the whole story, because overall, God is patient with unbelief. He creates space and time for that remnant to come back to him. Jesus exalts those who have unbelief. They can simply just pray, Lord, help me with my unbelief. Narratives are stories between God and different people. They're stories that help reveal God's character to us, not how we should emulate people or copy We don't want to be like anyone in the Bible except for Jesus. Very rarely is there a character who does a lot of good things. Even our most favorite characters, like King David, who was said to be a man after God's own heart, yet he was overcome by temptation of a woman, and that led to an affair, deception, and murder. We are not supposed to emulate the people in the Bible. We're supposed to look at the Bible to see God's character, to emulate Jesus, which we will always fall short on, but we can see from these narratives that we can also say, I've fallen short, and I'm sorry, and I would like to come back to you, and Jesus is going to be waiting for you. So let's take a quick look at some of the other characters in our narrative story of the nativity scene. Joseph. Back in Matthew chapter one, we get to see what Joseph's response to this was. It says in verse 19, Joseph was a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, meaning Mary. And so he resolved to leave her quietly. But as he considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. So when you read through this account, Joseph is spoken to many times in dreams. And so that tells us some things about Joseph. Joseph. He's willing to listen. He has discernment to be able to have these dreams and wake up and use them to take action. He's also called a just man, which if you use the Blue Letter Bible app to look up that word, it basically means righteous. So he wanted to do the right thing. And so he cared for Mary. He wanted to live righteously. He found himself with a pregnant fiance, but he didn't want to put her to shame either. That's such kindness. Then we see that the angel tells Joseph that they're going to have a son and his name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. Joseph woke from the sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and he took his wife. So Joseph is also obedient. These are the characteristics that we see about Joseph from just these few scriptures. Our next set of characters are not quite straightforward. We have Herod, the king of Jerusalem and these very mysterious wise men from the East. Now, I have had very particular viewpoints about the wise men and who they were and what color robes they wore and what gifts they brought and how to spell their names correctly. But none of those things are actually present in the scripture. They come from all different kinds of places. So if we look in Matthew 2, at just the account, just what does it say about it? We start with chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after the days Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So the wise men had initiative. They had ambition. They're the ones who traveled to Jerusalem. When they get there, they ask Herod, where's he who's been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. So they're also religious. I always thought that they were magic doers or astrologers or something I probably shouldn't be messing with, but it doesn't say anything about that. They have come to worship Jesus. So there's something good there. But when Herod hears this in verse three, it says he was troubled. And what's more importantly is right after that, it says all of Jerusalem was troubled with him. So not only is Herod a king who can be troubled by the sheer mention of, that another king has been born, but he has been ruling in a way that all of his people are troubled also. They've been waiting for this Messiah for millennia, and yet the response is to be troubled. Herod immediately gets his scribes and they look at the scripture and they figure out that it's all about Bethlehem. And then Herod asks the wise men to go and find him. And he tells them, you tell me where he is and you go to Bethlehem and report back to me, and I'll go and worship him too. But we see that the wise men were warned in a dream not to go back. That's in verse 12. And so they went back to their own country by going around Jerusalem. It was a couple of years before Herod actually found out that the wise men had no intention of coming back and letting him know where baby Jesus had been born. So in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 2, we see that Herod was furious when he realized he had been tricked. And then he ordered that all the male children in Bethlehem under two years old were killed. And so this is the character that we see of Herod. He's threatened. He has pride and he has arrogance. He uses his own Pharisees and wise men from different countries to meet his own end. This is definitely not someone that we want to cross. And as far as the wise men, We see in Matthew chapter two, verse 11, they find the star, they find Mary, they fall down and they worship baby Jesus. They offer their treasures. They offer him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, and he's probably not an infant anymore. Remember once Herod finds out about it, he's looking for toddlers and it's a while before the wise men actually leave. So he's not really an infant, but he's probably not a full two years old yet. So that's kind of the nativity scene that we have so far. Now, what about those witnesses, those shepherds? Their account is in Luke chapter two. It says in the region where baby Jesus had been born, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and they were filled with great fear. I don't know if this says more about the angel or the shepherds, but it was definitely not something that they expected. But the angel says, don't worry, don't be afraid. We're bringing you good news and we're about to rock it out out here in the fields. We're going to have a concert. We're going to sing. It's going to be amazing. All these angels and heavenly hosts show up and they say, glory to God in the highest and they have a good time. And then the shepherds, after the angels leave, say, man, that was pretty intense. Something really big did happen in Bethlehem. Let's go over there and see what happened." So they run over and they find Mary, Joseph, and the baby lying in the manger. So we can see from this story that Jesus is still an infant. He's still in the manger. They tell Mary everything that happened with the angels showing up and praising God. And Mary, it says in verse 19, treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. More descriptions about Mary's character. And then we see the shepherds returning to their fields, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, and they become witnesses. And I'm willing to bet that they continued spreading the word. So that's our nativity scene. Those are the characters, all the different things that we can see. Now, don't forget, if it's been a while since you've read the nativity scene, definitely go and read these accounts for yourself. This is just a summary My point is to help you read through narrative, see the characters, and what you should be noticing about those characters. Making those lists, it's super helpful for your overall time in the Word. You can write down descriptions of the characters, different decisions that they made, and how those decisions affected other people. And a really fun thing is to use something like Blue Letter Bible and look up the meaning of their names. For example, Mary, Mother of Jesus, means their rebellion. It's Miriam in Hebrew, which was Moses's sister. It's a pretty cool name. Hopefully looking at these characters helps you to see God's character more clearly, to see Jesus rightly, to see God's patience and his kindness, how he responds to these characters in all different ways, because we see that his responses are not the same all the way across the board. There was a very different response to Zechariah as there was to Mary, and that says something about God's character. He isn't an equation. It isn't as simple as, I do this, God does this, and here's the result. God is not math. That has stuck with me for so long, because I've always thought, if I can do this, God will do this, and here's the result. And that has always been disappointing. When I look at the characters in the Bible, I think, well, I did exactly what they did. Why didn't God respond the exact way that he did with that character? And that's because you are not the character in that story. Hannah was the character in that story. Mary is the character in this story. And God wants to have his own story with you that's unique and special because he made you that way. So I hope you see God as a friend because he's worth it. And that is good news. Next week, we're going to talk about narrative through setting. And remember, that can be a time or a place. But throughout OT, all the way through the Nativity and through Revelation, there are so many different actual places. So I'm going to share with you some resources about how to find those places, what's important about those, and how you can look up what those places mean, and just some really good ways to use that to see God's character. There are themes that repeat all throughout the Bible that have to do with particular settings, and once you can recognize those patterns, it will be easier for you to see what God is doing in those places. Thanks for joining me today and i hope that you have subscribed to this podcast or you download it however it's convenient for you if your podcast catcher is making it difficult or the episodes are out of order or it doesn't load on time which is every friday morning then you can always go to my website deborahjmckenzie.com and there's a player there and you can download the individual mp3s not a problem. You can download them, share them, especially with people who don't use their phones to listen to podcasts or if they're maybe technology challenged, that can be a really great way to share these studies. I have no problem sharing because trust me, I know he's worth it.